You guys ready to get in the Word this morning? Let me ask you a question before we get started. How many of you, why don't you, why don't you just, you can shout it out if you ain't scared. Anybody got any favorite books in the Bible? Like, who's, you got any favorite books? Somebody just shout out a favorite book. Anybody? Somebody said John, Mark, praise God. Well, you, I, I, you said it because you know. Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going to be this morning, Ecclesiastes. When I first started reading the Bible, Ecclesiastes is a strange little book somewhere right in the middle of the Old Testament there right after Proverbs. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes this morning. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to call this sermon, it's going to, it, listen, you, you've never heard of a more encouraging title than this, Enjoy Your Life, praise God, amen. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? I preached so heavy out of the book of Daniel for months and people were getting weary with me. They were just like, Clay, you're just so discouraging. I mean, this is not good. We've got to, we've got to encourage the people. Well, I've got to be honest with you, Ecclesiastes isn't that encouraging either. So, praise God, but, but we're going to move in. It is kind of encouraging, but enjoy your life. We're going, we're going to get into the book of Ecclesiastes. I really love this book. Whenever I first started uh, reading the Bible... Uh, a lot. I was in college and I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I started reading it. And for whatever reason, I started in the book of Ecclesiastes and I loved it. And when I was in uh, college, I was studying different philosophies and because I, I was kind of a weird guy. But I studied this one thing called nihilism. Anybody ever heard of nihilism? It basically means that you believe in nothing, that everything is meaningless and there is no point. And in the end, we all die and then it's game over and big deal. Nothing comes to nothing. And that's kind of what I felt. My big thing was honestly like, what is the purpose to life? What is the meaning? If, there, if we are here, there has to be a meaning. There has to be a purpose. And actually, it so impacted my life that the very first sermon that I preached was out of the book of Ecclesiastes and I titled it Purpose because I was on this per pursuit for meaning, for purpose, this search that there had to be something deeper to life than what I was running after because I pursued everything that I possibly could and no matter what I sought after, no matter what I pursued, I could not find the satisfaction that I was looking for in life until I found Jesus. And I found purpose in Jesus and everything changed. So I preached about that. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, if, and we're going to go through like the entire book throughout this thing. But it comes from this word ecclesia. And we know that actually in the New Testament, it's the word for church. It's the word for assembly is what it literally means. And he talks about uh, the preacher. That's what it means, the preacher of the assembly. And he's, he's basically giving this message to the congregation about life in general. He's looking at life, at the scope of his life. And it's written by a dude named Solomon. He was the king of Israel. He was one of the wisest men that ever lived according uh, to the scriptures. But see, Solomon wrote some other stuff. He wrote the book of Proverbs. He wrote the Song of Solomon. And you see all this wisdom in Proverbs. And then you see in the Song of Solomon, you see this passionate love, which is really a representation of not only a man's love for his wife, but it's a representation of Jesus's love for the church. And man, you just see passion. He says stuff like, kiss me with the kisses of, 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 his, of his mouth, you know, and all, all this stuff going on and this passion. But then in Ecclesiastes, his tone changes a little bit. Because if you know something about Solomon, he started out serving the Lord, worshiping God, doing very well. And over time, he began to move away from the Lord. He began to, to, he married a lot of women, he brought in false gods, he started to worship false gods, and his attitude changed, and he says a lot of statements in Ecclesiastes, people sometimes will read the book and ask me and be like, man, what's he talking about in here? He's saying that everything is meaningless, that there's no point to anything, but you've got to kind of understand where he's coming from, because he's basically looking at the world, and he's recognizing something that you and I recognize very early on, and that is that this world is broken, this world is fallen, and some things have gone wrong. Has anybody 
anybody recognize that? Like it's probably not the way that it should be is what we feel in our hearts. He feels this. He says, man, I see all these things going on. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. And it really seems like there's no point to it all. Like it doesn't make sense to me because life to him became very confusing, became very chaotic, and it actually became frustrating. And he came to this conclusion that ultimately everything is meaningless. And he was broken in his heart because what you're going to find is that in life, if you're like me, if you're like any other human being on the planet, you're going to have some highs and some lows, aren't you? You're going to have some ups and some downs. And if you wrote a journal like like, uh, Solomon did, man, one time you're passionately in love, you're on fire for Jesus, all of these things are going on and you're fired up and then the next day something bad happens and you're thinking, what's the meaning to life at all? And you're riding on this roller coaster and you see these two aspects. But here's what he begins to say in Ecclesiastes right out of the gate in chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. Notice this. He says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Man, that's a good attitude, isn't it? What if I got up and said that? Just lift your hands to the Lord. Everything is meaningless this morning. Come on, praise God. Like that wouldn't be a very encouraging word, would it? That's what he says. He says, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun. This word meaningless, actually, if you read it in other translations, he says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, right? And, and, and so you have the word vanity. It's, it's, it's the Hebrew word hebel, and it means vapor. It's just a vapor, because when you see a vapor, it's empty. It's here one minute, gone the next. I mean, when you boil some eggs, you see some vapor come off, and as soon as you see it, it's gone right out from under you. He says, vapor, vapor, says the preacher. Everything is vapor. Notice that. This this is going to impart some wisdom to you this morning. Y'all with me? You alert? Good. Praise God. You're looking good this morning, by the way. He says, everything is vapor. Everything is meaningless. And then he notices he says this 29 times in Ecclesiastes. He says, under the sun. Under the sun. He uses this language to teach us something. Now, basically, here's what he's saying. He's saying, boys, I lived my entire life. And he said, I basically tried to decide and figure out what was worthwhile under the sun. Under the sun essentially means this. Cut out the heavens. Cut God out. Cut out eternal life. Just assume that all we have is right here on this earth. All All that we have is on this planet. What is actually worthwhile to do under the sun right here in this life? And he began to search all of these things out and try to figure all these things out. But he's basically teaching us when you go through life, when you go through uncertain times, you find that, man, at the end of the day, life is is confusing sometimes. It's chaotic. It's turmoil. There's bad situations that you go through. There's good situations that you go through. But he's teaching us how to get through life with a different perspective. It's kind of like whenever you're riding on a plane. I remember one time I went to India and and we were we were in India and and we were flying from I think it was like uh, Vijayawada to 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 Hyderabad or something like that. Two, these two different cities, right? And we got on one of these little rinky-dink planes and it was a storm, a scantless coming, man. I thought like a typhoon was getting stirring up. I was like, boys, I don't know if we should get on this plane or not. And all of a sudden, you know, we're getting on this thing and the and the and the, and the pilot comes back and he he walks out and he didn't even have a stewardess because it was a real small plane. And he comes out and he says something in Telugu. I had no idea what he said. I looked over at my guy. I was like, man, what did he say? He said, he said, oh, turbulence is going to be very bad. No worries. Uh, all right, praise God. And so, and so, and so, we, uh, so, so we take off in the middle of the storm. I mean, there's lightning striking sun. The, the plane's like shifting like this. And you start off at, you start off at the beginning of it. And, and he's and I was like, all right. He, he, told us, he said it was going to be rough at the beginning, but it, at the end it's going to be all right. And you, we got through. And all of a sudden, once you climbed 
high enough, we got up above the clouds, and you could see the storm underneath, and everything was perfectly still, perfectly calm, and you could see the storm underneath. See, what God wants to do in our lives is get us to the place where we understand that this world's broken and messed up and jacked up, but He can actually bring us into a heavenly perspective where we rise up in our minds above the storm and we see it for what it is. Because in this life, I'm telling you, my buddy and I were talking about it this week. He said to me, you know, I guess the saying's true that you're either going into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're right smack dab in the middle of the storm. Like in everybody's life, something is going on. And just because one thing is going on in your life and it's not currently going on in somebody else's, I guarantee you they got something different than you going on too. Everybody's dealing with something because this world is broken and fallen and we've got to recognize that. But what we've got is a God who can give us a heavenly perspective who can say, come up to the rock that is a little bit higher than you when you are overwhelmed and I can give you a new perspective above the clouds if you will trust in me. And that's what He's trying to do. He's trying to give us a heavenly perspective. And and, and so here's where it starts. He starts, let me talk to you about the unsatisfied life first. Let me talk to you about the unsatisfied life because... Solomon had everything, if you read this book, but he was not satisfied. And just in case you're pursuing everything in the world, trust me, I, I tried that. Anybody ever tested that out? They're just like, boys, I am empty. I'm trying to find something that will give me peace, something that will give me some kind of satisfaction. And, and so just in case you're doing that, let's, let's talk about why even Christians are not enjoying their life. You ever notice that? Like even Christians sometimes have a very hard time enjoying life. We do, don't we? We get so caught up, man, we got this going on and that going on and we got get stressed out and we forget how to enjoy life and Christians should be living in the greatest measure of joy that exists on the planet. Jesus said, ask and receive that your joy may be full. It says that knowing Jesus gives us an unspeakable joy, right? That is full of glory because we know Him and we know the promise and we're up above the clouds seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But see, we don't have that enjoyment and, and here's what it begins to say, like, the, the question is, why are Christians unhappy? And the, and the argument I'm going to make, and the argument that Solomon makes, is that we've not learned contentment. Somebody amen me, right? We've not learned contentment. In Ecclesiastes 1.8, here's what he says. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And here's what I want to tell you is that no matter what you pursue in this world, ultimately it will not satisfy you. It's not going to satisfy you because Ecclesiastes also says this. It says that he, God has put eternity in your heart. In other words, he's saying you got this, this universal sized hole that no matter what you pursue in this world, none of those things were designed to feel it, fulfill it, to, to satisfy you and make you content. And when you live without the Lord, it makes it even more difficult. But do you realize that in this world, in this warped world full of sin, that even when we know the Lord as Christians, we can still know the Lord and get tangled up in so many of the things of this life that we say, but I know the Lord, but I'm still just not satisfied. I know the Lord, but I'm just not content. And God is calling us into a place where we have a deeper relationship with Him and we find that contentment. Here's what Paul told Timothy, because Paul actually talked to Timothy 
And he said, look, Timothy, he said, matter of fact, this worldly mindset is so going to infect the church that there would even be preachers that come in that preach that godliness or living for God is ultimately a means for financial gain. Like you can serve, anybody ever live their Christian life like that? Well, if I serve Jesus, if I worship God this week, something good's bound to happen to me, praise God. If I worship God, he's going to give me a little bit more money than usual this week. He's going to give me a pay raise because I prayed. And so there were people that came in and started teaching this. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, what you need to look for is not more money in this life. What you need to look for is serving God, living for God, and finding contentment with the things you have while you're living for God. Verse 7, he says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Whatever you earn, whatever house you build, whatever clothes are on your back, whatever kind of money you got in the bank, when you die, I promise you, you ain't going to be able to say, hold up, Gabriel, let me go back down and pick up a few things. Like You ain't going to be able to do that. You are going to leave it here with you. That's what he's saying. And he says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says, look, if you got food and clothing, let's be content. You got a sandwich and a shirt on your back. Everything is good. You can be content. But for 99% of Americans, food and clothing is just not enough. Can you amen me? I've been there, I've been there, like I, I don't just want food, I want good food, you know what I'm talking about? And I don't just want clothing, son, I want good clothing. I want what my old buddy's got down there, that, and them nice shoes and stuff like that. It's, we're just not content with what we have. And here's, in Ecclesiastes, he even makes one statement. He says, look, I looked at all the work and all the toil with everybody's laboring and getting more jobs. He said, I saw that, and he said, it was meaningless because I noticed that most of the people that were working were working for the wrong motives. He said, they're just working to earn more money because they're envious of their neighbor down the road who has more than they have. I didn't come up with this. Solomon did. He said, the reason most of y'all are working is so you can get more money to get what somebody else has down the road so you can be as good as them. Somebody amen me this morning. I know y'all are tired, but praise God, this is good preaching, right? This is almost stuff to get excited about. Somebody, my dad always jokes. He said this guy, he talks about this guy that says to him, but you can't never get enough money in this life. Can't never get enough money in this life. Can't never get enough money in this life. And Paul is actually saying, actually, that attitude of all you are pursuing, money's good, folks, amen? Like, I mean, if it is used for right purposes, money is a good thing. But when it is not used for right purposes, it can be destructive. And it, when it becomes our God in the pursuit of our life, it can drown us in destruction and in many hurtful, hurtful things that begin to just plunge us because it becomes our pursuit. And man, most of us ultimately, right, like at the end of the day, like how many of y'all, well, you wouldn't care to have a little more money? Son, I say amen to that. Like, I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I'm not even saying that in itself. It's an evil thing. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, you're going to find out just like what Solomon found out, that it will not satisfy you. In Ecclesiastes, what he says in five, chapter 5, verse 10, he says this. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. How many of you right now, you say, boy, I'm just totally satisfied with my income. I just feel real good about it. No, you're probably not satisfied. You want more. You want some more. And you're figuring out ways to get more. You're figuring out ways to get more. And I, again, praise God for that, for the blessing and all that stuff. But it's a condition of the heart because Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament while he was in jail. Okay, And in jail, he said, look, I've learned how to be content in all things. 
And, and, and that's when he actually says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says it in the context of being content with what he actually have, has in the situation that he is currently in. But the problem with us is, and I'm speaking for myself this morning, we get spoiled and we get entitled. Anybody amen me? How many of y'all, let me ask you this, is this a woman thing or is this a man thing? I'm, I'm going to get back to it. Is this a woman thing or is this a man thing? It just seems like to me when I go through drive throughs that women are real picky about their orders. You know what I'm talking about? Like if we go through, I'm scared, I'm nervous. Like I'm an introvert except for when I preach because I have to, in the name of the Lord, get up and speak. But other times than that, I don't even really want to speak to people that much. I'm nervous, I break out in a sweat. And if I'm going through a drive-thru and we're ordering something, we get it out and Andre's like, let me look in it real quick. We need four ketchup, seven salts, three Polynesians, and extra water and put some ice in that cup right there. You know, like any women like that? Any women like that, right? And, and you know what I'm doing? I start sweating. I beat up. I'm like, I ain't asking for that, Andre. You ask. You ask. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like, but we get picky about stuff. I was reading this article. Talking, it was actually talking about entitlement and, and how, how America was spoiled. And, and it was from, about these Starbucks employees were writing about uh, how, how the people that, that, that came in and, and ordered drinks, some of the crazy stuff that they ordered. Here's, here's what one order was that I read. This really wasn't even the worst one. This woman comes in, she says, I want to... Uh, now, if it's, if it's in parentheses, she didn't actually say that because she just assumed the worker would know. She said, give me a venti GTF, which is a green tea frappuccino. No classic or base. Like, who in the world would know what classic or base was? No classic or base sweetener. Soy to the second lime, one scoop vanilla bean, one pump skinny mocha, four very heaping scoops of matcha, heaping grande scoop of ice blended on level three three times. After the four heaping scoops of matcha, she will always say either two or three more heaping scoops. And, and, and when you're getting the ice, it has to be perfect, she says. Just today she made me scoop her ice seven times before it was finally heaping enough. But do y'all realize that we can be just a little bit spoiled? Anybody amen me this one? And we're just never satisfied. I bet that woman got that drink. She probably said, that ain't that good this morning. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how we are. It's just, it's, it's just like it's hard to be satisfied with anything. Let me tell you something. I, I, I'm different like that. Some, there's some things i got to be honest with you I'm not satisfied in. But, but on that level, I remember one time we went to Tennessee. We was eating a cheeseburger. I promise you, this is a, a nice cheeseburger joint, supposedly. They bring my cheeseburger out. That's how I bit in the thing. It is purple in the middle. Everybody's like, man, you got to send that back. You may die here tonight. I said, that's all right. You know what I did? I ate the whole cheeseburger, purple and all. I just ain't going to do that, folks. I just ain't sending stuff back. You know what I'm saying? I just, I just ain't going to do this. But the point is, right, C.S. Lewis actually said, he said there's two types of gluttony. C.S. Lewis said there's one type of gluttony, and that's overconsumption. We all know that, just having too much, eating too much, going after too much. But he said there's another type of gluttony, and he said that is overselectivity. He said, he said there was a gluttony that was worse than, than overconsumption. And he said he, he gave this demonstration of this woman who came in, and in an effort to have less, she said, no, that's far too much. Go back and bring me a quarter of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, because she was so selective, she didn't even think about who she was putting out in the process of getting exactly what she wanted. 
And somehow we think that getting exactly what we want when we want it is going to bring us satisfaction and contentment. I promise you, if you get exactly what you want when you want it, you will not be satisfied. This is what Solomon is saying. He's trying, he said, boys, I've lived this life. I'm at the end of my life. I'm trying to teach you all some things about the unsatisfied life, about how you're never satisfied, about how you're never content. And at the end of the day, you are going to have to learn how to enjoy your life regardless of the circumstances. That's what he's talking about. In Ecclesiastes 1, 14, he says, I've seen all things that are done under the sun. He said, there's no thing that's been done. If you've done it, don't worry about it. I've seen it. And here's what he says. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Remember, he says they're all vapor. They're here one day, they're gone tomorrow. You can't catch it. I watched our buddy Eli, who's been coming to church, try to catch a rabbit the other day. You know what? He didn't get it. It's the same context whenever we pursue these things. But here's what he's saying. He says, look, I tested everything, and I'm going to show you. And we're going to run through real quick. If you read through Ecclesiastes chapter 1, chapter 2, he basically says, look, I tested everything out beforehand so you can know. And he runs through these things. And the first thing that he says that he tested was education. He says, I sought wisdom. I went after wisdom. And listen, Solomon was the most wise man of his day. The queen of Sheba came to visit him and saw all that he was and all that he had and literally was overwhelmed and almost passed out and fainted because of what was going on in his life. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And so he had wisdom. He wrote all of these proverbs. He wrote multiple books and people came from miles just to see his wisdom. And let me tell you something. Education is a good thing. I'm down for it, y'all. Like I told somebody the other day, I got 80 master's hours. You know what I'm saying? I got all kinds of education that I probably can never use. It's been helpful. It's been beneficial. But do you know what? It does not satisfy. It does not satisfy. Secondly, he said, I tried pleasure. I tried pleasure. He said, look, first of all, he was worth, let me tell you, y'all know what he was worth monetarily? Two trillion dollars in today's economy. Two trillion dollars was what he was worth. He had more money than you can imagine. He was worth $2 trillion in today's economy. He said, look, I hired comedians. I tried to laugh every night. He said, matter of fact, I got some singers together. I had a circus. I tried wine. I got drunk. I got high. I tested out everything you could do. I tried to test that because at the end of the day, we know ultimately, right, a lot of people get empty. They try alcohol. They try drugs. They pursue these things. They're looking for something to numb them or bring some satisfaction. But you know what? It brings joy for just a moment and then it's like vapor and it's no longer there and what do you need you need a stronger drug you need a stronger fix and as soon as you do that it's gone again and you can't catch up to it it's like vapor he says you're never going to find it. he said I tried all that I tested that he said not on that I tried sex out boys he said I got 700 wives and 300 concubines can you imagine a thousand I ain't even met a thousand women in my life and he, you know what I'm saying? He's got them in the house. He said, I tried all that. I tried pleasure. He said, whatever my eyes desired. He said, I did not withhold myself from it. Next, he said, I tried occupation. I tried work. And a lot of us, man, we try to find satisfaction and, 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 and enjoyment in our work and stuff like that. But he says, look, I worked. I built the temple. It took seven years. I built palaces, which took me another 14 years. I built houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, pools of water, fruit trees, herb trees. I did some gardening. I had herds of cattle. He said, but at the end of the day, he said, you work and you work and it's a vexation. You can't sleep at night because you're worried about what you're going to do tomorrow. And he says, you're burdened and you're stressed out with your work. He said, it's all meaningless of chasing after the wind. He said, you know what? I had possessions because we pursue possessions, man. We think that if I can just get a better car, if I can just get a better house, 
if I can just get better hunting equipment, if I get me a new set of golf clubs this year, you know what I'm talking about? That right there is, I'm going to feel satisfied. I'm going to have enjoyment with those things. He says, all those things. He said, I had it all. And it's just a chasing after the wind. Mark Zuckerberg, he was worth, I think it was $40 billion. He has all this money for, from Facebook. And he says, you know what, boys, I'm just going to give it all away and start over. What are you going to do with $40 billion, y'all? He said, I'm just going to give it all away and start over. I don't, I'd like to try it. I mean, you will give me $40 billion, I'll test it out. Like I'll, I'll see if I can spend it. You know what I'm saying? But ultimately, what we find is even the people in the world who seem to have the most, we get duped into believing that pursuing those things and having them is what's going to give us joy. And when you actually see the lives of the people who have the most, they are miserable because they've actually exhausted it. You ever got to the place where you just exhausted everything you tried and it is the greatest letdown of your life? It's the greatest letdown of your life to get to that place where you thought that something was going to fulfill you and you realize you get there only to realize that it didn't. And I think so many people, they come to the end of themselves at that point. And man, it's a, it's a turning point for them. Either they're going to turn to the Lord or they're going to enter into despair because they realize nothing in this life is going to satisfy. But see, there's a time and a season, a time and a season for everything because he says, look, Here's what I learned throughout life is that there's a time and a season for everything. We go through highs, we go through lows. He says there's a time to plant, there's a time to pluck up, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to weep, there's a time to dance, there's a time to mourn. He said there's a time to speak, y'all, and there's a time to shut up and refrain from speaking. Somebody amen me this morning. Sometimes you just need to shut it up and just be quiet and you'd be a lot better off. He says there's a time to keep and there's a time to throw away. Some of y'all women need to learn that. Man, we get storage closets full of stuff and about every year we just got to throw tons of stuff away. Y'all amen me, right? Oh, well, you can't waste that. Quit hoarding, y'all. Amen. He said, there's a time to keep. There's a time to throw some stuff away. But basically, he's saying, look, there's a time and a season to everything. One year, the Democrats are going to win. Next election, the Republicans are going to win. You're going to have some highs. You're going to have some lows. You're going to buy a good car. You're going to buy a bad car. You're going to be healthy a while. You're going to get sick for a minute. You're going to see there's a time and a season to everything in life. Ultimately, God is over it all. You're going to go through trials. It's not a question of whether or not you go through trials. It's a question of who you go through the trials with and what kind of perspective of life you can maintain while you're going through the trials, while you're going through the difficulties. Amen. I appreciate the support there from a couple. Sometimes in life, I'm telling you, you know, it's football season. There are going to be a few games. But y'all ever notice a quarterback when he's playing and he realizes, man, this play that I'm about to run, they, have, they got the defense set up for it. What do they call? They call an audible. You don't know what's going to come at you in life. And every now and then, you're going to have to call some audibles. And what you can't do is say, well, I didn't expect this. Why'd you allow this, God? If every time something difficult happens, you're going to get upset at God and get mad at God, you ain't going to make it in this life. You are not going to make it in this life. Because bad things are going to happen. Difficulties are going to happen. And every now and then, you've got to call a spiritual audible and say, I didn't expect this, but that's all right. I got Jesus on my side. He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. And he said, look, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. But here's, here's where he comes to. Here, let me talk to you about the satisfied life. He says, look, there's a time and a season to everything. I've tried everything. But he said, in the end... This is how to enjoy your life. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It says He has made everything beautiful in its time. Can I tell you that not everything is beautiful? 
A tornado hitting a house and a hurricane hitting a, a city, that's not a beautiful thing, is it? People going through loss and devastation, in my mind, that's not a beautiful thing. Job went through some horrible things. He lost his family. He lost all of his possessions, everything that he, that he owned. And then he lost his health. And that was not a beautiful thing. But guess what? God makes everything beautiful in its time. There was a time that he had to go through. It was a difficult situation. But in the end, God brought him through and he said, You have refined me. I, I heard of you by the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you. And he said, I've come out like pure gold. He says, I'm seeing things different now. I'm up above the clouds. I'm up above the sun. I'm not under the sun any longer. And I see that you bring beauty out of ashes. And I'm here to tell somebody this morning that you may be going through a difficult time, but even what you're going through right now, God makes everything beautiful in its time. In its time, you're going to be able to look back and see that this thing you went through, even if it's in the heaven and eternity, we're going to look back and say, God made that thing beautiful. He made what I went through. He made my failures. He made my weaknesses. He made it when I broke down, when I couldn't go on any longer. He made that moment in my life beautiful. He makes everything beautiful in His time. In its time, He makes everything beautiful. And it says we can't fathom what God does from beginning to end. And He concludes this several times, Solomon does. Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25. He says, and he says this over and over again. Basically, he's looking at the world. He's saying it's messed up, but a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink, somebody amen me, I enjoy it, and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without Him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, folks, I've tried everything, but at the end of the day, satisfaction is not from what you will earn. It's not from the kind of job that you have. It's not from how successful you end up being. You will not find satisfaction. He says satisfaction is from the hand of God and it is the gift of God. And if you can learn to be content with whatever place you're at in your life, whether it's your job, because some people, man, right now people, com I, people complain about their jobs. Anybody amen me? This job is awful, right? Be thankful for what you have when you have it because there may be a day when you don't have it and you'll wish that you did. And they're going to get put in a situation. He's saying, look, there's nothing better for you to do than to find satisfaction in what you're doing in this moment in life. If you have a current job and you're in a current position, no matter where you're at, he says, you know what? You need to learn how to find satisfaction in this moment in the very thing that you are doing and enjoy it because there's nothing better. He said, but you know what? This is a gift from God. It's a gift of God just to learn how to enjoy life no matter what you've got. You can get upset and you can say, well, what if this happens? What if everything crumbles? What if I lose my money? Man, that's in God's hands. We ain't got time to worry about that. What I've got to do is learn how to enjoy what I have right now. What I have right now. And so he says this. He says, now let me make this practical for you, he says. And he gives us several things that we are to learn how to enjoy. You've got to learn how to enjoy it. Number one, first thing you need to learn how to enjoy is your friends. Enjoy your friends. Amen? Enjoy your buddies. And God gives us friends in this life, man. And you know what friends ought to do? They ought to help us come up above the cloud. I got friends. I'm over here looking at Tina. You know, Tina's my friend, y'all. Tina sends me a text every now and then. She'll encourage me. She'll say something kind to me. You know what it does? It pulls me up above the clouds. When you got a friend and he's always pulling you back down up under the clouds, that dude may not be a friend at all. I need some buddies in my corner, you know what I'm saying, that are going to come and encourage me and strengthen me. Man, enjoy your friends. Get some good friends that are going, going, going to stick with you. I'm not talking about Facebook friends either. 
I'm talking about real human beings that you can have a real relationship with. I know, thank God, that we can communicate through Facebook and all these other things, but man, I need people. I need people in my life. I need friends. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I, 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 was, I read something about a Belgian horse, right? Y'all ever heard about a draft horse? I hadn't either. It's okay. Put, the, put these pictures of these horses up. Look at that. These two horses pulled them logs, y'all. Okay? That's pretty serious. Show this other one. These two horses are brutes. Look at them horses, man. Those, those are brutes. Those are the, a Belgian draft horse is the strongest horse in the world. One horse by itself can pull 8,000 pounds. So you say, well, Clay, if you put two together, they should be able to pull 16,000, right? Nope, two pulls 23,000. Because just by coming together, they pull more than double. I don't know how it works. But get this. They say that if you take two Belgian draft horses and you raise them together and they develop a bond and they grow together and they have a relationship and they learn to pull together, they can pull upwards of an average of 38,000 pounds. And the two draft horses that set the world record, they say, was 52,000 pounds, y'all. Two horses pulling that. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say enjoy your friends. And, and look, don't, don't look. Here's the other thing. Y'all got friends. Y'all got relationships with people. Forgive quickly. Somebody says something. I, I like what it says in Ecclesiastes 7. It says, take, take no thought when you hear somebody cursing you. He said, because you know yourself, you also cursed others just as well. Somebody amen me on that. So when somebody says something negative about me, you know what? I'm just going to let that go. Even if my friend does it, I may go up to him and say, I say, bud, you say that about me? I mean, that ain't nice. You know what I'm saying? But let's reconcile. Let's be friends again. Let's give each other grace. Let's give each other mercy. And let's love one another and enjoy one another because we're all we got. And if I ain't got people in my corner pulling with me, I ain't going to make it. I got to learn how to enjoy my friends, enjoy my family. Amen? Secondly, he says, you got to learn how to enjoy your work. Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. He said, even so, I've noticed one thing, at least, that is good. It is good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. He says you need to learn how to enjoy your work because this life is short. He says, your life is a vapor in James. Same language. Your life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. You may never get the job that you want. You may never make the money that you want. But guess what? You can put that aside. He talks about getting more money and more knowledge. He said, look, more money, more problems, right? That's what the, the famous godly rapper said. I don't know who said that. There's somebody that wrote a song called More Money, More Problems. But the point is, is that no matter what you pursue, the more you get. He says, no, you ain't going to. He says, whatever job you have, he said, accept your lot in life. Say, this is, this is good, God. I appreciate what you've given me. 
we got a lot of teachers in here. You can say, you know what, God, you made me a teacher. I appreciate that. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm a teacher. I'm glad I get to minister to these kids on a regular basis. I appreciate that. I'm thankful for that. And I'm going to enjoy my lot in life, and I'm going to accept it. He says, you need to learn how to enjoy your work. Don't be discontented with your job and what you're doing and always complaining. He says, look, we are the Christians. We're the light of this world. we got to learn how to rejoice and shine light and never grumble, never complain, but enjoy what we're doing in life. Secondly, or the next thing that he, that he talks about is he says, enjoy your children. Enjoy your children. There's a book. He's not a Christian. He's a psychologist. His name is Jordan Peterson. He wrote this book called 12 Rules for Life. And he's actually got some Christian uh, little principles in there. But one of the principles he said is he said, don't let your children become somebody you don't like. That's a pretty good principle, isn't it? Amen. Don't let your children become somebody you don't like. But he says you got to learn how to enjoy your children is what Solomon says. And, and here's what he says. He says, A man may have a hundred children and live many years. In chapter 6, verse 3. He may have a hundred children and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity, he does not receive a proper burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. He's saying, look, if you can't learn how to enjoy your children and enjoy your life, he says, you're better off to not even be alive. What is the point in life if you cannot learn how to enjoy the small few years? And I'm telling you, so many people, they live their entire lives and they're miserable year after year after year after year because they've not learned one thing that Solomon is saying is probably one of the most important things. Yeah, I mean, you got to know Jesus, but beyond knowing in Jesus, you got to learn how to enjoy life, folks. You got to learn how to enjoy your life, and you got to learn how to enjoy your children. I got we, Andre and I, man, we're we're excited. We're adopting, man. You guys have supported us a ton, and we appreciate you so much for for supporting us in that. We're excited about it, but it's been a hard journey. We want to have our own children and stuff like that, but I, we don't have any kids. But man, we enjoy our niece and our nephews. Kids don't like me very much, you know what I'm saying? I got a patented move. I do this. And like none of, none of the kids like that. It doesn't, it doesn't work with them. But I, I, got, one, I got one niece. My, one, I got one niece. She's, she's, she's about two years old. And uh, Are they two years old? How? Yeah, that's what I thought. See, what I know, right? Um, but I got two nieces that are two years old. I got two nephews that are a little bit older. And, and my, my two, one niece I got, she likes to FaceTime me. You know what I'm saying? She likes to get, get Mama to FaceTime me. And they, she FaceTimes me almost every other day or something like that midday. And she'll say, hey, what are you doing? And she's just a little girl and stuff like that. And then my other niece, Gillian, like she, she wants to whip me all the time. She, like no matter what I do, if I eat food, if I pick up a guitar, I'm in trouble, son. She, no, you stop that. And then she come over and whip me. But you, you learn to enjoy your children. You learn to enjoy the kids kids that are around you. And I want to tell you this. See, he's saying that life, life, it's not so much about the success we have or what we do or the money, but it's, a, it's about taking the kids in the next generation and raising them up and launching them beyond us into the next generation. I was sitting down here with, with Brian and, and, and Brennan the other day and we were talking about this church, man, and what we saw in the future. And we're talking about plans and buildings and growth and reaching the community and just envisioning this, these things. And we were talking about it and we even talked up into 30 and 40 years. And me and Brian said, well, you know, Brendan, we'll be dead by then, but guess what? You're going to be able to take over at that point because we've got to think about how do we enjoy our kids and raise them up to enjoy life and to lead in this community. Amen. We've got to learn how to enjoy our children. Then he says, you've got to learn how to enjoy your years. Ecclesiastes 6, 6 says, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. He said, you can live 2,000 years, but ultimately everybody's going to die. 
And in this, in this particular one, he's, look, he's, he's blocking out the afterlife. He says, look, everybody, let's not even get into the afterlife. He says, what comes of this life? What comes of this life? He said, ultimately, we're all going to the same place. So you need to learn to enjoy your years. All the days of your life, you've got to understand that every day you've got to make it count. You've got to make every day count to advance the kingdom, to talk to somebody about Jesus, to be generous, to bless people, to say, God, with my work, with my family, with my children, everything that I'm doing, let me make this day count so that I can enjoy the years of my life and it not be a burden to me. You want to get to the end of your life, and here, th- th- this is the conundrum for a Christian. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. We'd rather go on and be with the Lord, but you know what? We are, we've learned so much how to enjoy our life and be a blessing to people that we want to stay. Amen. And that's the, that's the paradox of the Christian life. And then lastly, here's what he says. He says, enjoy your wife. Enjoy your wife. Somebody, some of you women say amen right quick. Amen. amen. That's what he said. He said, enjoy your wife. Listen, one of the greatest gifts in my life is just my friendship with Andrea, right? It's one of the greatest gifts. I know you can say, oh, that's sweet. Golly, he's so sweet. That'd give me points later, see? I know how to, I've learned how to preach. So that in there, it helps you out. But you learn to enjoy your wife. Somebody said, well, you know, I have a hard time in my, enjoying my wife. She don't look the same she did when I first married her. Have you looked at yourself lately? Somebody amen me on that. The Lord picked it out, son. He said, you get one woman. And see, here's the thing. Solomon had 700 wives. 300 con- Can you imagine going home to 700? Whew. Like every day I got to go home, I got to install a new light fixture or paint something. or do, And I ain't even good at it. Can you imagine 700 of them? So he, he's saying, though, you know what? I tried all that out. I had lots of wives. I tested it for you boys. He said, at the end of the day, you know what I figured out? It's better to do it God's way. Pick you one and stick with one. And love one. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 8 and 9. He says, Let your garments be always white. Let no oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that He has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and your toil in which you toil under the sun. Solomon could have had thousands of women and he did have thousands of women. And all y'all, man, our world right now is sex-crazed and obsessed. They're into all kinds of wickedness, pursuing all kinds of ungodliness when it pertains to sex. And we end up, some of you young people that are single, let me say this to you. I know some of you are dating and stuff. Honor one another while you're dating one another. Love one another and and save sex for marriage. That's what God teaches. It's the way to do it. You say, well, maybe you messed up before. Praise God. Repent. Give it back over to God. Sanctify your marriage. Make it holy. And then get married to one another when God says it's time. Amen. Come on, that's good preaching, y'all. Because you know what it's going to bring is it's going to bring you satisfaction because right now this world is teaching you and giving you expectations to look at other women and lust after other women and lust after other things and desire other things. And guess what? It's going to break you down. You're going to have wrong, ungodly expectations and you're going to forget how to love your wife. And some of you need to say, you know what, Lord, help me. Well, you got to pray. Lord, help me to love my wife effectively. Help me to do these things. Help me to, to enjoy my family, enjoy my relationships and grow in this area. And if you are currently single, you got to learn how to be content. Somebody admit me on that, right? If you're currently single, sometimes people get single, man. It's just like they just think, if I could just find that one, if I could just find that one, you'd be content. No, God knows you're going to be discontent when you do find the one too. 
Because it's not about what you have or the person you have. Or the per- if you, God says, you need to learn how to be content in me. And when you can be content in me, then I can freely give you good gifts and you can enjoy the gifts that I give. But until you're content in me, you ain't going to enjoy none of the gifts that I give. I believe God wants to bless people. I believe He does want to increase some of us in our income and in our job. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with increase and blessing. But if you can't be content with God before you get it, you ain't going to enjoy that either. That's the point that Solomon is trying to make. See, when you learn to be content with God, man, you can receive the gifts from God and you can say, thank you, Lord. What a gift. And you can steward that gift properly. You can steward that gift properly. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 11 through 12, he said, I returned and I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. Basically, he's saying it's all random. You're going to see bad things happen to good people. You're going to say good things happen to bad people. You're going to see dumb people get rich. You're going to see small, smart people be poor. Like it's going to be a random occurrence of events that go on in the world. And he says, but time and chance happen to them all, for man also does not know his time. He's saying, look, life may throw you some curveballs, but that's all right. You can learn how to enjoy your life. You can learn to swing at whatever is thrown your way. You may suffer. You may go through some hard times. There's going to be ups and downs. But you can rise up above the sun and have a heavenly perspective, and God will give you that. Several times in Ecclesiastes, he says that God gives us the the power to enjoy. The power to enjoy. And I'm praying today that our people would learn and be given the power to enjoy the things that God has given them. Because when you can learn to enjoy the things that God has given you, man, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. People are going to see that joy in your life. And you are going to live as an example to the rest of the world. This is how we live in a dark and a chaotic world. We've learned how to enjoy life regardless of what's thrown at us. And he says, now all has been heard. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. This is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or or evil. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to just bow your head. He says, look, here's the final conclusion. You need to know God. You need to learn how to keep His commandments and enjoy life because this life is short. And just for you, for those of you, you feel like you're just chasing everything. Some of you are pursuing education right now. And here's what I want to say. I want to say, work at it with all your heart, with all your might. Get your education. Wherever you're working, work your job, do well, honor your boss, do all of those things. But understand that none of those things are ever going to fully satisfy you. God's the only thing that can satisfy. And He wants you to enjoy your life. And the storm that you are in, He's going to raise you up above it and give you an eternal perspective if you'll turn to Him. And so right now, I just want you to search your heart. Is there anything you need to lay down? Is there anybody in here that would say, you know what? I'd like, to, I'd like for you to pray for me because I, I feel like I'm ready to give my life to Jesus and I want to start a relationship with Him. I want to get a different perspective. Would you just raise your hand up so I can just know to pray for you? Anybody in here, just raise your hand up. I see one. Anybody else? Anybody else? Let's pray together right now. Father, we just pray. God, we thank You for what You've given us. I want You to give, give Him thanks for what, what You have, what He's given You. And I pray, Father, that right now you would just begin to move in every heart, God, that you would lift us up above the clouds, up above the storm. Give us that eternal perspective to see things, God, the way that you would have us to see them. And Lord, you're bringing us into a place 
where we learn to enjoy life. But God, we learn to do it because we are worshipers of you, Lord. And Lord, you're, only, you're the only thing at the end of the day that is going to bring us true and lasting satisfaction, God. So teach us to be content with the things that we have so that we can live our lives for you, Jesus, and not get caught up in the mess of this world. Jesus, we want to surrender our lives to you afresh and say, God, we live for you and we live for you alone. We thank you, Father, for the gifts that you've given us. You've given us wonderful gifts. And we believe, God, that you want to give even more good gifts to your children. But God, teach us contentment and teach us, God, to fear you, to look to you in everything that we do, God. We worship you. We honor you today. And we thank you for it all in Jesus' name. I want you to stand to your feet. You just take a moment just to worship God, just to give him thanks for what he has given you in this life. Let's sing this to the Lord. Let's worship him together. Just respond to him where you are. Just pray to him. Just lift up your voice. Let's worship the Lord.